if you have gut dysfunction, the factory is down, you're getting low right. production, right? Dysfunction equals right. poor production. If we have poor production, we have imbalances. So your brain chemicals become imbalanced. So we can see mental health issues. On the other hand, anxiety often considered to be an inflammatory condition. So again, it's exactly that. Mm. It's neurological inflammation. Or if we look at how blood and lymphs connect to your brain, right? You know, underneath biologically, the circle of Willis, the arteries down there, you look at your ventricles yeah. and how all these fluids circulate. Well, if you have inflammatory pathogens in one area, what's saying they can't get to the brain? So we're looking at inflammatory brain conditions. And so even speaking mm. to psychologists and mental health specialists, other gut specialists, so far, the consensus is 100%. I got to find a study. Maybe I can back it up somehow. But 100% of people dealing with mental health issues have gut issues of some kind. And never in medicine, almost wow. never, I don't like absolutes, but I should say almost never are there 100% in anything. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm James Goodlatte. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, and this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Oh, the gut. People will often say everything comes back to the gut. And when I was in residency in medical school, I knew the gut was important. And I was the guy that was pressing my professors around the importance of educating on our processed wheat and all these other um, proteins, gliadins and, and glutens and all this stuff that are in our foodstuffs here in the United States and how that can be, you know, even outside of a formal diagnosis of celiac, how that could actually be problematic. But I don't know if I ever fully, fully appreciated the role of the gut microbiome and the biome on our skin. <laughs> outside and inside our genitals, if you're a woman listening, your vulva, the vagina, the cervix, even in the endometrial cavity, there's very, very few places in the body that I think are truly sterile. Like I bet even the brain, the CSF aren't truly sterile. I bet there are bugs everywhere. And the reason is because bugs are not necessarily the bad guys, especially when we're looking at the microbiome and how we symbiotically support so many bacteria and viruses, even though they're not living things in and on our bodies. Um, and they, fortunately, in our intestines anyways, are there to digest and help us absorb nutrients and also to maintain the integrity of our intestinal lining, which should remain relatively impermeable. My guest today is Josh Deck, and he is a, God, I don't like to use the word expert very often, but man, is this guy a badass when it comes to helping people correct a variety of chronic illnesses by starting with the gut and then going from there. I've started doing this myself since I've done training with the Institute for Functional Medicine and Mark Hyman's team. I have started running stool analyses on people and I can get them back on their feet way faster than just doing a one point in time lab work. It doesn't matter how fancy the lab work. It doesn't matter if you go to Ways to Well or whatever. Sorry, Ways to Well. If you're not looking at the gut, you're probably missing something important. And I even just did a stool analysis on my daughter because she had some intermittent chronic diarrhea. And sure enough, she has a parasite infection. Go figure. So we're going to have to talk about how can we holistically treat that, you know, through more natural remedies than blasting it with micro, uh, metronidazole, also known as flagyl, because that is going to disrupt some of the other bacteria there. And then we're going to have to fix that. This is like the way the conventional medical model works. You treat something and then you have to treat the things that you've now, the problems you've now created. So Josh does a tremendous amount of good work out there. He's got a podcast as well called Reversible Pod. We'll put all the links here in the podcast description. And I'd be remiss to not, uh, if I didn't mention that in both of the programs that are now available, the Born Free Method, I helped co-create that with Sarah Rosser, who's a badass midwife, and then Clearing for Your Holistic Solution to Persistent HPV, co-created with a badass health coach named Mimi Lindquist. Um, in both of those programs, I go deep into the microbiome and how the role of the gut is not just a reflection of ill health, but also perhaps the primary target for fixing a variety of chronic illnesses, including, of course, persistent viral infections like herpes, like HPV. Um, if you're having any of these issues, you have to ask, what's going on with my immune system? And if 80% of your immune system is tied into the intestinal lining in gut-associated lymphoid tissue, it just bears asking the question, what if I've got something going on in my intestines? So Josh, 
demystifies a lot of this, provides some really, really great tools for you to get started in dialing in your health, starting with the guts. Um, he's a great human. He's very well-spoken. And he um, has also provided quite a bit of studies that we'll put into the, the show notes here, the podcast description, in order for you to learn a little bit more. If you're not watching on YouTube, we have a YouTube channel. Um, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast or shared with your friends, please do. And if you haven't left a five-star review, do that, guys. It really, really matters. Um, before we get started, we do have one sponsor, um, as with every episode. This one is... Um, Immune Intel HCC. And if you go to the medicine without the E, T H E M E D I C I N dot com slash products and use code Beloved10, you get 10% off a bottle of Immune Intel HCC, which is featured in both my Born Free method and Clear and Free because it works that well. Hundreds of, of stories coming back from women who have abnormal PAPs, persistent HPV for years, and bam, with some lifestyle coaching as well as the addition of this incredibly important supplement. Um, they're, they're walking away with a clean bill of health. And of course, it doesn't just go away forever. You obviously have to keep dialing these things in. That's why we do all the coaching and additional education in our clear and free program. So um, the medicine uh, is a company that was started by um, Chase Ramey and Mimi Linquist. Mimi Linquist, of course, is involved in my clear and free project. They developed this product, which is made from the mycelia of shiitake mushrooms that boost your NK cells, your other T cells. It helps to um, promote communication between your immune cells. And this increased immune response will decrease systemic inflammation or help get your immune system back on order. It's an important part of getting your adrenals or your hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis back in order. There is so many um, benefits to this supplement alone, which is why I've kicked the other supplements out. And we're just talking about this one because I think focusing on those most important nutrients and important supplements in our life is where it's at for me right now. There's a plenty of good products out there, but none of them works like this one. So if you want to try it again, it's the medicine without the e.com slash products code beloved 10 to get 10% off your purchase. Subscribe and just get a bottle every couple months. That's the way to go. I take a bottle every four months because I know that I do better on this. So, um, and Josh Deck would agree. This is a great product. So um, I don't mean to speak for you, Josh, but I think if you could see some of the literature here and how they're using this in vitro and in vivo trials in order to help women with this persistent pesky problem, um, I think you'd agree. And of course, it is um, one of those, you know, these functional mushrooms that are all the rage right now are so, so helpful for improving the communication between these various endocrine systems because they're made from mycelia, which in nature is like nature's internet. So um Go and check out that product. Check out Clear and Free. It's clearhpv.com. If you're interested in Born Free Method, that's bornfreemethod.com. Very easy domains on this end. Um, without further ado, here's my new friend and um, nutritionist, gut health specialist, Josh Deck of the Reversible Podcast. Josh, welcome. It's always nice to have another podcaster on the show because your audio and your video and everything is just dialed in. So this is just going to be, we can just focus on flowing I'm here. I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. I had actually just gone to Long and McQuaid today to get a new connector for my audio because I get, it's getting this low grade, like, like a white noise hiss. My wife says I'm obsessing. It's driving me nuts. So. <laughs> in the same way. <laughs> It's like there's some little connection, three a three uh, three loop connection is just, just not like enough. not, it's just not quite not quite doing it. Well, Josh, you've got a podcast yourself, the mm -hmm. Reversible Podcast. You were you were uh, gracious enough to have me on as a guest to talk a little bit about fertility. I'm going to return the favor and go a little bit into what your area of, your your area of focus is as a um, holistic nutritionist, which is the gut. I mean everything. Uh, if, if, if anybody listens to your podcast, you'll get an appreciation for what people like Mark Hyman have been talking about mm -hmm. for years, which is that God darn it, everything seems to come back to an unhealthy gut. So I, I know that one thing that I, I heard when I was doing my due diligence and listening to a variety of your interviews and your podcasts, uh, again, it's reversiblepod.com guys. If you want to find Josh's work, um, you, you often reiterate that like most of the things that are ailing our population, the most expensive chronic illnesses, many of them come right back to the gut. So could you just like ring them off for people in case people are kind of delusional Hell still yeah, about I, this? Yeah. So I say, I often will throw the stats, like 14 out of 15 of the leading causes of death or 93% of the leading causes of death come back to the gut and or their long-term chronic inflammatory conditions related to diet and lifestyle, which affect your gut. 
And so there's always a gut yeah, connection. So if I can rattle them off for you, we've got heart disease, we have cancers, cerebrovascular disease. So that's going to be your strokes and other brain disease, um, chronic lower respiratory disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's, nephritis, chronic liver disease or cirrhosis, primary hypertension, hypertensive renal disease, Parkinson's, influenza, pneumonia, and septicemia. So when we say, thank you for that. So when, when we, just to give some clarification for people, I don't think it's fair to say that the gut alone, an elevated type of bacteria or whatever, or a little bit of like maybe some calcium, you know, uh, calprotectin elevation or whatever, that that is causing right. this. But this is almost like a signal that something's off in the body. And all of those conditions you listed off are downstream consequences of decades of just abuse of not only the body, but specifically the gut, which is where you're digesting and absorbing nutrients. Do yeah, I have I mean, that I would correct? say it's very multifactorial. And some of these, I would absolutely, absolutely. blame the gut and say entirely your gut caused this. I don't think that would be unreasonable. But I think right now, until we have a time travel available to everybody, we can't go back and figure out exactly the roots of stuff. But I know, for example, yeah. someone yeah. comes in and they have leaky gut. We hear a lot about leaky gut. What is leaky gut? First of all, it's actually a good thing in moderate amounts, your body will deliberately create leaks in order to flush stuff out like a garden hose on the driveway, right? It wants to psh, move stuff through. So that's like gluten, other things you shouldn't eat, things that, oh, like it gave me diarrhea. That's probably your body creating leaky gut to draw water in to flush out quickly. So it doesn't become an issue, right? Oh, oh so the, the leaks go both it ways does. then, in yeah. other words. So your body ah. will deliberately- Well, you've already, you've oh, already right, intrigued well, me. Going. <laughs> so your body will deliberately create leaks to bring water in. The problem is, we know things get through the gut. They're supposed to. It gets into your bloodstream. It's how nutrients and your limbs, like things travel through your body. Now, we have leaks that are too big. Instead of micromolecules of nutrients getting into your blood to circulate around your body, macromolecules get through. So we can let what? Like large Yeah, like undigested food. You can, if you look at live blood analysis of someone with gut issues, you can actually see food in their blood. You can see a piece of chicken floating around, wow. right? Microscopic, but you can see it. And so when these leaks become created and they're sustained long-term, that's when we get macromolecules leaking out and getting to places they shouldn't, which does lead to inflammation throughout the body because now these inflammatory processes from the gut are circulating everywhere. I have seen asthma yeah. fixed by fixing leaky gut. I've seen, uh, right? <laughs> it, it's so bizarre. Yeah. Skin issues, diabetes, all coming back to the gut because they're all inflammatory conditions. So, you know, I, I, I want to... Um... You listed so many things there. So in order to like isolate it, sort of categorize them, I think one big area, and I actually learned this, it was kind of stupid of me. I didn't really pick up on the connection. I had like a suspicion, mm -hmm. but then I read uh, Kelly Brogan's book uh, around birth control and how that just mm -hmm. does so many harms on the gut. Now, being a gynecologist, having given out birth control to so many women, age 15, all the way up to 60 for various reasons, I was like, shit, I guess I've I guess my suspicion was right that there's actually a connection here between all of these mental health issues, right? From depression mm -hmm. to anxiety, maybe even to some of the more, you know, catastrophic diagnoses like schizophrenia and whatnot um, that are related to maybe not even just a leaky gut picture, but perhaps some generic inflammation that's happening in the body that gets into the central nervous system. Can you talk about mental health and the connection to the gut? Totally. I mean, one that keeps getting reiterated time and time again is going to be like, uh, neurotransmitters being produced in the gut, right? Being produced by bacteria. So you got your serotonin and other, there's a bi-directional communication between your gut and your brain, right? So things go back and forth and your brain always wants to talk to your gut. That's why we call it the enteric nervous system. And so we know it's very, very important. We know they're all connected. And so it's not out of reach to say that if even something simple, like you're lacking serotonin or dopamine or other neurotransmitters that are made in your gut, if you have gut dysfunction, the factory is down, you're getting low production, right? Dysfunction equals right. poor production. If we have poor production, we have imbalances. So your brain chemicals become imbalanced. So we can see mental health issues. On the other hand, anxiety often considered to be an inflammatory condition. So again, it's exactly that. Mm. It's neurological inflammation. Or if we look at how blood and limbs connect to your brain, right? You know, underneath biologically, the circle of Willis, the arteries down there. You look at your ventricles yeah. and how all these fluids circulate. Well, if you have inflammatory pathogens in one area, what's saying they can't get to the brain? So we're looking at inflammatory brain conditions. And so even speaking mm. to psychologists and mental health specialists, other gut specialists, 
so far, the consensus is 100%. I got to find a study. Maybe I can back it up somehow, but 100% of people dealing with mental health issues have gut issues of some kind and never in medicine, almost never. I don't like absolutes, but I should say almost never are there 100% in anything. Yeah. So to speak to that as a practitioner, there's a lot of people out there, you know, pontificating and conjecturing and circulating little tidbits. You know, they took a workshop online or whatever, and now they're like, the gut's everything. Well, I am a in direct clinical practice here with people who have postpartum depression, postpartum blues. Um, they've got this ongoing anxiety picture. And almost always I say, let's just start with a gut analysis. I personally like GI effects. There's plenty out there. There's GI map, there's GI 360. There's zoomers and all kinds. Yeah, zoomers is a good one. And they range in price. But, but in general, when you get a, an analysis like that, you can see a variety of things there that are very, very easily rectified. And when you rectify them, suddenly this person is feeling better. They may not be 100%. It may not be just that they've got some gut dysbiosis or inflammation in the lining of the intestines or maybe a nutrient deficiency. But in general, they feel a little bit better. What has your been, been your experience? Could you give like a case study of somebody who maybe had some anxiety and what, what you saw on a, on a, a stool analysis and, and how it was like a not an overnight fix, there's no silver bullets here, but just even small changes that actually led to a, a, I don't know, a better experience for them through the lens of depression and anxiety. So many, yeah, I'm glad you asked. So a lot of doctors, and I've talked to many, um, there are some brilliant doctors out there that I've met with or had interviews with, and they'll say a lot of them don't like GI maps. And I see on one end where they're coming from. Medicine, especially Western, really likes conclusive data, randomized control, placebo, right. double-blind studies, the works, right? Those cost millions of dollars, millions, to get that much data over X amount of time. It's very expensive. And in my view, the people who pay for those are going to be pharmaceutical companies who can benefit from the end result of that study, which is going to say conclusively, well, we need this drug and here's why it benefits. But to go back and say, well, you can try these herbs or these probiotics, they're dirt cheap, pennies on the dollar compared to pharmaceuticals. <laughs> so we don't have those studies, right. but I can talk from anecdotal and clinical evidence time and time again, dozens, if not hundreds of cases over the years. So I'll give you some examples. Client of mine came in, she had anxiety, she had skin issues, she was dealing with a bit of psoriasis, some eczema, and occasionally some cystic acne. We see that a fair bit. Me? Right? I've actually got a little on myself now. I've had, I just, I'm doing a new stool test because I believe I got some candida I didn't get right the first time. And that will, right? This fungal yeah. infections cause yeah. issues. And so she was coming yeah. in, she had insomnia, severe anxiety, everything, food anxiety. There was food a lot of food preferences or really we call it picky eater, a lot of issues there. And so we looked into her gut, everything would run through her. She'd eat, she'd have a 10, 15 minute transit time if she was lucky, right? A lot of the times it would just run right through a lot of diarrhea, a lot of stomach aches, asthma. She was the one I was actually referring to earlier. And so we went through, did a GI map and I saw a lot of things. Now in a typical GI map, for those of you who don't know, it's as much of an analysis of your stool as we can, we can see. The reason I was saying a lot of doctors don't like them is because it's not super conclusive. We have one to 2,000 species and seven to 9,000 different strains of bacteria in our gut, give or take, which means we have upwards of 18 million different types of bacteria. On a GI map, we can see what, 50, 75, give or take, and it's more umbrella. So it's the lactobacillus umbrella. It's the bifidobacterium umbrella. And so it's not conclusive enough for Western to say, here's exactly what to do or what drug to give or what drug to treat with. But in my clinical experience, it is concrete enough for us to make dramatic changes. Yeah. And so with a very, very small investment, sometimes we'll talk about fiber totally. and things like that, but sometimes this is not even a matter of going out and getting a $600 supplement. This might just be like 50 bucks for a couple months and you're actually feeling better. Oh, yeah. Like it could be as simple as that. No, you're good. Oh, I even sorry. tell some of my clients to culture their own probiotics and juice or make yogurt. You can make one bottle last a year. You just make your own, right? Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's a yeah, good idea. Get yeah. A pesticide-free, sugar-filled juice like grape juice or orange juice or something. Um, but anyway, so so one of the reasons they don't use them is non-conclusive. But I look at it and say, okay, well, we can see very commonly in like inflammatory bowel disease where I specialize, we can see acromancia commonly depleted. A lot of lactobacillus or basic ones commonly depleted. You could simply just get a probiotic, fill it up, and oftentimes that's enough because these bacteria produce a lot of byproducts. They're responsible for short chain fatty acids like butyrate, immune balancing. They're responsible for producing certain vitamins. We even know vitamin K is made in the gut, certain B vitamins. 
And once you have more of these, it's not just, well, I got this one nutrient I was missing. We can hyperfixate on one nutrient or one bacteria, but it's about balance. It's an ecosystem living in harmony. Right. And I think right. because we want to quantify things so much in the Western world, we kind of lose this lack of harmony and we almost hyperdose things just because, well, I, I want to get more, more is better, more is better, but balance is best. And we look at the gut. Yeah. I use an analogy. Your gut is kind of like a neighborhood, right? Whether we like it or not, even the crackheads contribute to the financial system somehow, right? They contribute in a way. And so if every grocery store and every coffee shop was selling crack, the ecosystem would collapse very quickly. The entire community would, would go under. So we need police. And these are your good bacteria. These are the ones that we call commensal or keystone. They're beneficial. The ones you can buy probiotics for. They keep things under control. They regulate a lot of these, quote, bad or opportunistic bacteria. And they can help. They kind of compete for space and all kinds. And so taking these probiotics when you need them is contributing to a good thing. But overcrowding is also a bad thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to eventually get into the, the pre and sure. probiotic conversation because I actually think that, like you said, we've become so focused on what is lacking, what external product is lacking versus are there just some fine tuning that can be done to your diet in order to support a healthy mm -hmm. gut microbiome. So we'll, we'll get into that. Before we do, though, I wanted to have you touch maybe on what is the importance of focusing on the gut from a standpoint of reproduction or let's say the menstrual mm -hmm. cycle? Um, and then also the immune system, because all of these three systems, the nervous system, the immune system, and the endocrine system are so intimately linked to the gut. And they also, no, no surprise, they also, when there's dysfunction there in either of those three systems, lead to any of uh, or multiple of the, the conditions that you mentioned uh, early in the show. Yeah. So obviously they're so very linked. So any issue in one is going to precipitate a trickle down effect to the others. We know that. And so knowing how they circulate, we can look at things and say, okay, well, we know if you have inflammation in the gut, for example, it's going to create inflammation in other areas, your lymphatic system, your nervous system, and all those things. Every time we have inflammation, every time we have any kind of excess stress from the body, and I say stress is everything. I'm not talking relationship stress, right. financial right. stress. Anything requiring your body to use excess resources is a stressor. Being pregnant. Bingo. I love that. Josh, I love Put that. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> and so being pregnant is a stressor on the body. It may be you stress, not distress, like a negative one, but it's a stressor. And so we have these excess needs of resources when we're inflamed, when we have gut issues. And what do you need when you're pregnant and you're developing a baby? A, a mountainous surplus of resources, right? Yeah. And when you're inflamed... Yeah because of gut issues, wherever else you're using resources in excess, you're developing a baby, which pulls resources in excess, which is bad for the mother or the host to be able to grow a baby successfully. That's right. Yeah. And so, yeah. so many yeah. of us are already in the red. Look at farming and agriculture today. We know our, our food is grown artificially. A lot of it's GMO and it's grown in soil that is dirt. It's not soil, mm. right? There's mm. something called the biogeochemical cycle. And think of this when an apple falls off a tree, it rots into the ground, it decomposes, the grass grows from those nutrients. The cow eats that, I eat the cow. So I got the nutrients from all of that biogeochemical cycling, and it got into my body. That's nutrient-rich soil. Nutrient-rich soil and bioregenerative farms, these proper farms that are done well, not for just maximizing profit, they're actually cycling crops through. They're moving animals around. They really rarely will kill the soil because it destroys the microbes. Modern soil is tilled, it's dry, it's barren. So our food is void of nutrients. We're highly stressed all the time. We're sick, we're, we're always in the red. And then you add inflammation or chronic inflammatory disease or gut issues, which will, again, now you're not absorbing the very little nutrients you are getting from your food. And then you're pregnant. Right, right. It's no wonder we're sick all the time. And it's no wonder we have such high mortality rates or developmental issues in children because we're all so deficient. We're lacking resources from every, mm. every which way. Mm. And so what if a woman's not pregnant? Uh, something I'm really focused on right now, which I didn't ever think, Josh, I'd be mm -hmm. this focused on this, but we're, I'm looking at HPV, other viral, uh, you know, quote, illnesses. I, I'm not certain that I really want to call persistent HPV a mm -hmm. viral illness, but whenever you have a virus call it a exosome, call it a little messenger from the outside. It gets into the body. And for some reason, some people aren't able to clear it. That tells me, hey, 
I'm still picking up this signal that you're not integrating. It's almost like trying to upgrade your operating system and the operating system just isn't able to take on the new Mac mm. OS, you know, whatever, you know? So we've got this issue. And then if that persists, you get this inflammatory pattern, right? Which reflects something related to everything we've been talking about. And you end up with abnormal cells on the cervix. One application of what we're talking about that I'm finding is, hey, if you're getting abnormal pap smears, you're getting the development of SYN2, SYN3, maybe you're even looking at an excision procedure. You've got this HPV thing that won't go away, yet your neighbor is doing just fine. When I do a gut analysis or when I start to get some of this inflammation under control, suddenly now they're clear of HPV, the dysplasia reverses. And so there's some connection between the gut and the immune system. And without maybe getting too far into the weeds on gut-associated mm -hmm. lymphoid tissue, is can you just kind of riff a little bit on the importance of the gut as it pertains to the immune system and, and oh, immune health? So, so much. So it comes back to a lot of different things. So number one, we have our gut bacteria, right? And I, I, got, I, I could write off 20 different points, so I'll kind of try to summarize. It's really <laughs> the question is what doesn't it do? How isn't it connected, right? So for short, we know our gut bacteria outnumber our own cells in our body 10 to 1 like dramatically. We have about 23,000 genes that make up the human genome. And I, I want to say it's upwards of 3 million different genes to make up your, your gut bacteria in your body. So it's like 130 times more genes in your bacteria than your actual body, which is crazy in itself. Look at the gut bacteria. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's bananas, wild. man. We're more <laughs> microbes than anything else. And actually a conversation with Leo Gallen, he was saying that we even have these viruses that we can find in all these bacteria outnumbering even the bacteria 35 to one. So one could argue 35. 35. So I've read 10 to one. It's actually even higher than that. Yeah. That's probably because we don't have a clear definition as to what a virus is, it's a, but it's a crapshoot, but it's a lot. It's a, there's a ton of viruses. If they were out to get us to, to like murder us, then we would oh. be dead in our tracks. So there's something it's more like to the story. It's like if ants took over and decided to recolonize and take over humans, we'd all be done for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if you sure. look at your own cells, your bacteria outnumber them 10 to 1. The viruses outnumber bacteria 35 to 1. So even those outnumber your own cells 350 wow. to 1. So we're more microbes than anything else. Wow. And so your bacteria do so much for you. They, they're there for immunomodulation and balancing immune responses to different pathogens. They reduce risk of allergies. We talked earlier about short chain fatty acids, right? Fibers get fermented by your body into things like butyrate, propionate, acetate, which are used for like anti-inflammatory responses. They balance the immune system. They're fuel. fuel. Oh, they're phenomenal yeah. for you. Yeah. Uh, one yeah. supplement I actually use often you know, working in gut disease or trying to repair guts is butyrate. Lots of studies will show three to five grams a day, if you can tolerate it well, can be really phenomenal for even helping balance gut bacteria as well as repairing tissue in the immune system. Oh, mm -hmm. interesting. interesting. So very beneficial wow. nutrients. Um, we talked briefly, you mentioned you didn't want to get into the GALT or you would like to get into the GALT. We can go, we can go that direction. I mean, I talk about it a lot, but I know you, you are a wealth of information. So I don't want to steer you off the path here into sure. the into the crevasses uh, you know, that you and I live in. But let's talk a little bit about that. The majority of our immune cells mm -hmm. live in the lining of the intestines, which makes sense because there's all these, quote, bad guys living in the gut that are actually symbiotically relying on us to keep them alive and vice mm -hmm. versa. So we've got all these immune cells that are keeping these checks and balances. But I suspect, and I've I've seen this in clinical practice that when the gut starts to become inflamed and out of balance, out of harmony with itself and with you as the host, you end up starting to see a change in the immune system as well. And I'm wondering if it's if it's due to direct changes within GALT or if it's something even more insidious maybe elsewhere in the body. Or maybe it's both. I don't know if we can say exactly for sure, unless you want to spend $10,000 on different tests. And even then, as you know, <laughs> we're hypothesizing, right? It's still such unknown territory. We're still learning so much about the gut and the bacteria and how they work. What I can tell you is that your gut, right? Inside the gut there, we have a lot of gut bacteria influencing the maturation of T cells and B cells. Um, you got your macrophages, dendritic cells. We can talk about the, you know, the, the second brain of the enteric nervous system. They are housed in the gut, and so that's in the mucosal lining of your GI tract. I also, you might guys might if you're if you're big listeners, you might have heard the term malt, which will be your mucosa associated lymphoid tissue, but it's all lymphatic tissue in the gut. That's all it really means. And so that gut, where your gut lymphatics actually, they produce a lot of your IgA, and your IgA 
is responsible for a lot of the immune responses in mucosal layers. And so if you have gut issues, well, what is the vagina made of? Mucosal tissue, right? Orally, mucosal right, tissue, your right. gut, mucosal tissue. And so we're dealing with pathogens or things entering that shouldn't be there, right? Even the use of like a tampon or, or sex, right? Anything where, you know, fingers or genitals that can enter and enter pathogens into mucosal tissue. If you have gut issues and you have a decrease of these IgAs or an inefficient immune response, of course, you're going to have or be more prone to other inflammatory conditions. And not only that, we talked about leaks in the gut, right? Your, your small intestine is one cell thick before things start to enter the bloodstream. The colon is two. And so it's very, very small. Well, if you're inflamed and you have leaks, what organs are directly mm. touching all your reproductive organs? Your intestines. Right, right, right. So mm. it's, it's so direct. Absolutely. And we haven't even really gotten into the role of the liver and, and how it's, you know, stuff goes into the blood through the intestines and passes through the liver. It's called first pass metabolism. Like there's so much to this conversation. We could go on for hours. So I think we've established that there's a variety of conditions that can result from an abnormal gut. I think a lot of people are wondering, is my gut responsible? You know, maybe they've done a, an analysis here um, and they're looking at it. So I had a, a recent client who is actually a friend, so I haven't actually started working with him yet, but I, I have my suspicions as to what's going on. And, and as a spoiler, I actually think a lot of his, uh, his lower abdominal and, and sort of like a pelvic kind of lower back mm -hmm. discomfort. And so his doctor was like, let's do a stool analysis, right? And so they did that. And it was like one of the cleanest analyses I'd seen, but there was elevated mm -hmm. fusobacterium. Everything else was pretty normal. You know, it was a good commensural balance, good um, overall abundance. Um, there was none of the major inflammatory markers, maybe slightly elevation in IgA. And his doctor was like, well, you better get a colonoscopy. You might have colon cancer. And he was like, hold on, are you serious? Jump. Like, I don't feel like I have cancer. That's a big leap to the big C word there. So whenever you see an elevated bacteria, let's say fusobacterium, mm -hmm. you know, it's not one that we hear a lot about only because if you go to your fancy grocery store and look at all of the bottles of probiotics, they're usually looking to help you supplement with lactobacillus species or bifidum bac mm -hmm. bacteria species. What do you think about fusobacterium? Is there some specific concern with that bacteria? We have to keep in mind, right? We talked earlier about the, the neighborhood and the balance, the harmony. It's all about harmony. Mm -hmm. So any overgrowth can cause an issue. Any overgrowth can lead to inflammation. And it's hard to live in a house when it's on fire. And so when your bacteria are living in a gut that's inflamed, it's a lot of the same situation. We get a lot of overgrowth or the opportunistic bacteria can creep in. And all that means is when they have the opportunity to, when the police are no longer there or we defunded the police and now the gangs are running wild, there's drugs in the streets, these bacteria, they're creeping in. And so we do see this. So fusobacterium is actually considered an opportunistic pathogen, but it is no, a, a normal part of our flora, even candida. Right. You should have it there. If you don't have it, you're actually Huge also, problem. that's also totally right. It's, it's, yeah. it's all about yeah. the economy. Let the crackheads do what the crackheads are going to do. It's just don't let them <laughs> go crazy. So they're part of the normal yeah. economy of the ecosystem. But sorry to all the crackheads <laughs> listening, by the way, if you're a crackhead, we still love you here. It's maybe you're, you may need to make a couple better life choices, but but we love everybody equally. Yes, you you do still have a part on. to play, even in your current state. Yeah. <laughs> they, they will move in when they have the chance, right? They'll, they'll, they'll call them squatters. And so it's opportunistic yeah, right. fusobacterium in less than ideal conditions can creep in. Now, we know it's associated with things like oral infections or other infections, systemic inflammation, right? They're just, they're opportunistic. They will do that when they are allowed to. And so something we can try, I mean, again, you can try throwing in things like butyrate. You could try... Honestly, I've seen people do have great success, a little bit of gut issues because the microbes are out of balance. Now, antibiotics, pharmaceutical antibiotics are very rarely selected mm. and they do a great job of killing just about everything always, but plants are selective. And not only that, but they can actually help grow good bacteria. And so look at something like garlic right? It's a fermentable carbohydrate. Mm. And so it can be fermented into those short chain fatty acids, right? Those things that are highly beneficial, good nutrient source, good for the brain, good for the nerves, everything. But they're also highly antimicrobial. So not only will they feed the good, but they can also push down the bad. So I've seen people with minor gut issues, just crush up some garlic and mix it in water and drink that twice a day for a week or two. And like, oh, gut issues are gone because they've corrected and the neighborhood came back to balance. 
And sometimes that can be that simple. Yeah. Something I'll, I'll add to that is, so my wife is Mexican. People who listen to the show have heard so many stories about her and, and my mother-in-law. There are remedies mm. for various things, but garlic, ginger, and honey mixed into like a little tonic, a little, a little spoonful a day. Everybody always says like, oh, it's good for your immune system. It is, but indirectly, it's actually really, really good for your gut to be taking in some of these soluble and insoluble fibers. Um, and as well as having some of the medicinal micronutrients in various plants like garlic. So I'll give you a little additional um, information about this particular friend. He also has very tight hips. And so he's been sitting in front of a computer and all of this stuff, lower back pain and tight hips and tight hip flexors and whatnot, we've actually started to resolve his symptoms just by doing some basic biomechanics and mobility work in the hips and lower back, which can manifest as inflammation in the gut because everything is connected. and um, by resolving some of those things, you actually can um, can start to see probably a change in your microbiota simply by changing how the viscera, right, which is attached to all this connective tissue, is starting to integrate with mm -hmm. one another. So again, another kind of rabbit hole we could go down. But I want I just wanted to bring that case up because a lot of people get these stool analyses, which is an expensive investment, and I, I honor people who do that. But when they see one specific mm. bacteria elevated their doctors start to freak out and it's because they don't have an appreciation for the, the inability to fully quantify the amount or you know the abundance or the whatever of this the microbiome we don't really know and we know that if you're eating a, a healthy diet you're hydrating well you're moving well you're sleeping well your stress is, is mitigated well that your your gut is going to respond your body wants to heal mm -hmm. so don't get you know doom and gloom. You probably don't have colon cancer. It's probably just a matter of figuring out what it is that's maybe lacking there for your body yeah. to do what it likes to do. I think do. that's really important. And if I can, uh, just on one thing that you're saying there, Nathan, yeah. is that you know you talk about the movement, right? I mean, exercise is a part of your immune system. Not only does it move blood and circulate lymphatic tissue, but we also see benefits, the hormones and hormonal profile, but exactly that, it can improve gut motility, right? If you have, if you talk about, I have people coming with back pain, and they thought, well, it's my gut. No, it's your back actually causing back pain. And right. that, all that connective tissue that like suspends your bowels gets pulled tight, decreasing mobility. So you get hyperfermentation or lack of like detoxification because we're not moving stool through. On, an, right? On another Bingo. hand, if you haven't seen a chiropractor in a while and you work at a desk and you have this forward posturing, even your C-spine being out of place can dampen your nervous system, putting your body into more of a fight or flight rather than rest and digest, you right. have imbalanced neurological function leading to gut dysfunction, leading to immune issues. Like it's, it's all connected. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey guys, it's Nathan. Sorry for this brief interruption, but I got to tell you about a new offering that I'm going to be uh, making available this fall. You've heard about the born free method. That's our comprehensive pregnancy and postpartum program that includes 12 months of weekly calls, 100 plus video modules, tons of citations around pregnancy and postpartum. Well, Born Free is an umbrella under which there's going to be a lot of other courses. And the second course in this anthology is called Clear and Free, Your Solution to Persistent HPV. It's a collaborative effort between me and Mimi Linquist of the Medicine Podcast. She... Um, is a relative expert in, uh, I say relative because I don't consider anybody a full expert in anything, but Mimi has gone deep into human papillomavirus and some of the ways that we can use lifestyle to augment the immune system in hopes that your routine screening for HPV or your routine pap smears are going to come up negative and clear. So you can go another three to five years and not even think about it until your next um, appointment, whereby hopefully you'll screen negative again. So the typical path that many women experience of all ages in their OBGYN clinic is, hey, you're due for a pap smear and we're going to test for the HPV as well. If one of those comes back abnormal, your OBGYN is going to say, oh, darn it, it's abnormal. Why don't you come back for a repeat screening in six months or 12 months? And this process continues, right, until you end up with either a progression of abnormal cells in the cervix caught on pap smear or a persistence of human papillomavirus, meaning your body has not been able to integrate the message of this virus, right? Remember, viruses are not living things. So in the meantime, your OBGYN or your midwife or nurse practitioner hasn't given you any tools in order to help support your immune system through diet, through movement, through sleep, through stress management, through hydration, through all of those modifiable lifestyle factors so that you can be sure that if you had an HPV um, positive screen initially, that the next time it's going to be negative. 
Now, the other part of that conversation, of course, is, hey, I got the HPV vaccine. Aren't I safe now? Well, the problem with Gardasil 9, which is the primary vaccine that is offered to young men and women as early as age nine, has not been demonstrated to be either effective at preventing cervical cancer nor safe because of the aluminum adjuvants and everything else. So there's a lot of controversy around HPV and cervical cancer and even cervical cancer screening methods along with this vaccine. What do I do? Should I get it? Should I not get it? Should my little girls get this vaccine? And so given the sort of swirling <laughs> pool of information and misinformation out there, I went deep as well. And Mimi and I teamed up in order to clarify for everybody out there the realities around what HPV and cervical cancer screening looks like, what can be done while you're waiting for your follow-ups in order to support your immune system to integrate the message of that virus and avoid any abnormal cells developing and hopefully avoid painful biopsies or even worse, leap procedures, cold knife comb procedures, and of course, worst case scenario, cervical cancer. There's so much that's in your power. Your doctors, your practitioners probably aren't maybe edu educated or incentivized to share all of that information, but we're going to do that through this course, as well as all of the reali realities around vaccines, especially Gardasil 9. Um, we look at data from the United States and elsewhere in the world. We speak to um, attorneys who are litigating on this topic around Gardasil 9. What you can expect from the course is around 90 lessons self-guided. And we're going to also offer monthly calls for six months after you enroll with me and Mimi, where we're going to be able to answer all of your questions and provide you with that support that perhaps you aren't getting from the healthcare professionals that you've entrusted um, your, your cervical cancer screening and your well woman care. So we get into HPV, we get into cervical cancer screening, we get into the immune system, vaccines, viruses. It's everything you've wanted to know about any of those topics. Go to the link in the show notes and you'll find your way to book an enrollment call and we'll get you enrolled right there. We're going to be enrolling in October. I hope to see you there. All right. So I'm not going to get into the germ theory thing, but I'll, I'll just mention it. You know, a lot of people are like, germs don't exist and they don't cause disease. It's like, guys, you're throwing the baby mm -hmm. out with bathwater. Like germs are not necessarily out there coming to get us. In fact, I think we've demonstrated sufficiently that there's the symbiotic relationship between us and this microbiome on our skin, in our ears, in our holes, all the <laughs> holes, um, throughout our whole GI tract. Like these, there's a symbiotic relationship. However, if I were to operate on you, like let's say I was going to do a C-section on you, Josh, that would be a very weird set of circumstances. We'd have other questions arising. But if I was in there and I just took a slash at your guts and let all those bacteria spill out, you're going to end up dying from a horrible septic you know, reaction um, due to peritonitis and everything else that comes with that. So we've got this relatively impermeable membrane separating the outside from the inside. There needs to be an honoring of the microbiome as opposed to a fear of the microbiome. Mm. And since, I don't know, people started becoming interested in this. I don't know, I looked, I just did a PubMed search before we were we were chatting here and I went onto PubMed and I, I searched gut microbiome, I think was just the search term, very generic on PubMed, which for those who don't know is the international database of peer reviewed literature. And 20 years ago, like around the time that I was starting med school, geez, that seems like a long time ago, but yeah, around that time, there was about a thousand papers published. And now there's like tens mm -hmm. of thousands of papers, peer reviewed literature, clinical trials and whatnot that have elucidated that there is some role here. So yes, germs are out there. Are they the cause of all disease? Probably not. Are they indirectly related to our health through the gut microbiome? Probably. And I think we just need to have a very, very healthy sort of um, a reverence for the importance of balancing this out. So I'll just leave that. Anything you want to add in there about germ theory? I was going to yeah. go deep on that, but I feel like that's a kind of a well, waste of our time. I love that you time. did bring it up. Reverence was actually the exact word I had in my brain before you said it. So great minds. A, a fun right little <laughs> anecdote maybe about the importance of this stuff. We really haven't known about germs for that long, right? It was only about 150 years. No. Are you familiar with the discovery? Remember the doctor discovered hand washing? Yeah, Lister, uh, right? Wasn't it Joseph Lister? There's a couple of guys credited for it. There's one particular story that I actually tell, uh, 1856, Ignaz Semmelweis. And Semmelweis. Oh, Semmelweis. I was actually thinking Semmelweis, okay, not no, you're Lister. Grand. Sorry. That's all right. Semmelweis was the one. Well, tell me the story because this is really a, an oh, interesting it's, it's story. It's a fantastic in history, story. Yeah. So he was actually, yeah. so Semmelweis yeah. was actually 
um, he was observing different pediatric wards. So there are two different wards he was observing. He was trying to figure out stuff. He was doing some research and, you know, figuring out why women were dying. So back in the day of 1850s ish and beforehand, women were dying of something called childbed fever. So the women would give birth, mm. they would deliver, and then the moms would die. And the mortality was actually shockingly high. And they just called it childbed fever. Now, up to this point, we didn't really have much knowledge. We thought, well, God hates you, it's evil spirits, or there's war, or somebody poisoned you, and that's all we really knew about death. But 1856, Semmelweis was, he was watching and observing both of these wards, and he noticed that the first ward he was looking at was just midwives and priests. The second ward he was observing was doctors and nurses. Now, you'd think the doctors and nurses would do better, but that was the ward had five times or more, they say at least five times the death rate, of the ward that was just midwives and priests. So he thought, well, maybe it's the smoke, maybe it's the prayers, maybe it's who knows what. And he started doing some digging and he actually figured out the ward with, with midwives and priests. So we'll call it ward one. They did natural deliveries. That was it. Ward two also did deliveries, but he also realized that the doctors and nurses were also in that same hospital doing autopsies. So they were using the same tools to do autopsies as they were to do deliveries. And so they were crossing over staff bacteria and all kinds of stuff they didn't know from corpses to recent delivering mums. So they're now perinatal or postnatal. And so we had these big issues and he said, well, we should really start washing our stuff and disinfecting. And they use alcohol or whatever they would use or lie in whatever base of soap. And all the death rates went down dramatically. Now you think this guy, like shocker, shocker. Right, right? He'd be a would-be hero, like you know, celebrate this discovery, but the doctors actually got him fired. He lost his job and ended up dying alone of Alzheimer's or something because they didn't want to be blamed for giving women childbed fever. And so it's crazy. I, I think I think he ended up actually being committed Probably. like against his will to like an insane oh, asylum because it was so confronting. Like that's that's where you're headed, Josh. You gotta be careful, man. They're gonna put you in an insane asylum for talking about the I've thought about it. good health. I've thought about a lot. <laughs> there have been a lot of uh, very successful holistic practitioners who have like suicided themselves in the chest three times and like left themselves in the back of a trunk. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, geez. Yeah, I mean, that, that story is compelling. I, I think that, uh, you know, COVID really, really rattled a lot of cages. And while I am not convinced that, you know, there's this SARS-CoV-2 out there to get us, I also have to remind people like, hey, if I'm going to do surgery on you, you want me to sterilize my instruments. There is, there is still something mm -hmm. to this. The bacteria are supposed to be in this cavity. They're not supposed to be circulating all over our, our, our blood at all times and whatever balance, you know, um, a big giant gash in the intestinal lining or a big infected incision in these E. coli mm. are circulating everywhere. That's not, that's not good for you in, in the long run. That's, that's going to shorten your life dramatically. So I think it's, again, it's a reverence for germs. It's a reverence for some of these principles. I think principles is where it's at. So mm. I'm glad we gave a little shout out to germ theory because I still think that there's something there for us to glean. I don't think we need to, I, 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 I can't get around the idea that we're going to turn our backs entirely on the fact that washing hands and not eating poop and whatnot is actually, you know, not a big deal. Totally. So, um, uh, Josh, let me, let me, let's go on to, uh, something that is near, very near and dear to me. I've, I've tried to maintain a very low C-section rate over the years. I've managed to keep mine since graduating residency, less than 5%, which is hailable is probably, I'm not tooting my horn here. It's just that I don't do C-sections anymore and women come to me determined to have uh, vaginal births, but that is a very low mm -hmm. C-section rate. And I want to honor the women who are determined to have a vaginal birth. Again, it's not like I'd rather die than have a C-section. That's not the situation in many cases. But now that we're doing 40% of births in the United States, and it's, it's climbing upward, it's on average now nationally around 40%. I think that we're doing far more harm than just creating an incision in the belly and putting women through a crucifixion style procedure mm -hmm. for an hour while people are chatting about sports statistics and all of that. All of that aside, we also have to be thoughtful about the benefits to a baby who has an uncolonized GI tract before they come out of the uterus. And by going through the vaginal canal, that's actually setting them, setting them up for long-term health because they're being seeded with hopefully a very healthy microbiome that is reflected in the vagina, um, reflective of a healthy gut microbiome in the mom. 
Can you riff on this and what this means for babies that are coming out at rapid high rates mm. um, through an incision in the abdomen versus in the vagina? Yeah, there's so much. In fact, I actually pulled up a study. Uh, it was in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. So it was just done recent. It was in 2020. And so what they did is they stated effectively that babies more commonly were developing respiratory and neurological disorders like autism spectrum disorders, schizophrenia, immune-related diseases, so things like asthma or skin atopies, so like skin-based allergic reactions, yeah. juvenile arthritis, celiac disease, type 1 diabetes, and even obesity when they are C-section born versus vaginal. And there's a few reasons for it. Wow. Um, number one, we can say bacteria because you're not getting that full bathing. And we actually had the pleasure of talking about that on my show um, and how like everything, you're yeah. fully inoculated, ears, nose, mouth, air, even with like yeah. the, the, the anus will stretch. There's air that comes out that's full of bacteria, getting like you're covered in it when you're born. And so it's a huge, huge inoculation process. And that's very important, number one. So we have to look at bacteria. The microbiome in the gut and the skin, they're everywhere, but they're kind of like a new meadow, right? After a forest fire, there's nothing. It's just ash. And then things start to grow in seed. It's still very delicate. If it burns down again, it might be gone forever. And so we get a little bit of bugs start to come in. Small animals start to come in. The grass starts to grow. New seeds start to blow in. So we get this inoculation of new weeds and new plants. And eventually animals come in. It starts to grow. And now you have an Amazon rainforest. It's hard as shit to burn down the Amazon. Like you really got to try. Yeah. Right? And so yeah. your gut bacteria work similarly where it's kind of imprinted between there's arguments about it. We'll say three to four years old of when it's more solidified. And now you have a sustainable small forest, we'll call it a greenery, before it becomes an Amazon. As you feed it, you exercise, you age, you get exposed to new pathogens and you introduce new bacteria, new foods, you kiss new people. All these things introduce microbes into your body. And that's how you get this Amazon, this diverse microbiome. And when you don't get that fresh start, you don't get that seeding as an infant, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong and you lack the immune defense. We talked yeah. about the gut. We talked about vitamin and mineral production. We know that microbial diversity is directly related to immune health and a healthy lifestyle or decrease of disease. We know that that's not even disputable. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. that's birth. Yeah. Number one, it seeds the meadow. Number two, there's also discussion or we'll say theoreticals around it about like decreased perinatal stress. So if you look at the umbilical studies in C-section versus natural, cortisol is actually elevated in natural birth babies. And so it's like a chicken needing to break free from its own egg in order to be able to mm. have this the ability to thrive. They need that. And babies, much the same. It's these developing these adaptation complications or lack of adaptation complication. Um, and that's another theory around C-section versus natural. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, when I was in residency, there were still some of the older doctors that would be splashing a whole bunch of iodine mm. um, on the vagina, perineum, anus, as the baby is emerging, like on the baby's Crazy. head. So you get this antiseptic where the baby's coming into an aseptic environment, but we don't want that. In fact, as I was in residency during a really interesting time because that was that was being phased out and there were some interesting studies, you know, being published in major peer-reviewed journals around the benefits potentially of vaginal seeding, where you stick a sponge in the vagina, let it sit there until after the baby's born by mm -hmm. C-section. This is for C-sections. And then you just smear it all over the baby. It's not the best, but it's Better not than. the worst. It's actually a really novel idea. Yeah. So I was the guy, the crunchy guy before all the neck tattoos and everything else, you know, believe me, but I was, I, I was still pretty crunchy there. And I was like, Hey, why don't we try this? And people thought I was a total mm -hmm. sham. It was like, are you crazy? How gross? And I'm like, gross. Like the baby was going to come out from the, through the vagina anyway. Since like, the beginning guys, of time. Like I was like, how like, humans survive? Yeah. Am I taking <laughs> crazy pills? Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, now that's actually an option. If you, if, you know, a woman or, you know, somebody out there is listening and your partner is going to have a C-section, that's mm. an option. Just ask, hey, can we shove a, a, a gauze in the vagina? And then you can just smear it all over your baby as you're, you're skin to skin co-regulating with them afterwards to at least give them some bacterial exposure um, from mom, which is important because that's a, you know, in, in this early stage of co-regulation, the last topic I want to get into is mm. SIDS. Scary. Um, to, to, yeah, to extend this conversation to the values of breastfeeding, like you're not sterilizing the nipple every time you put it in the baby's mouth, 
So as you're breastfeeding, you're actually further colonizing the baby and you're not taking a shower with antiseptic every time you get the baby on your chest to breastfeed. So there's a constant introduction of new bacteria that are in your safe and sound home environment that is going to help this baby integrate with their environment. It's going to help to colonize their skin, their GI tract, help them live a long, healthy life. So you had brought up some data uh, in, in a podcast that I was, I was listening to, an interview you did around the, um, the association, we'll say, between breastfed babies and the risk of SIDS. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think that there's something really important there to unpack. Yeah, yeah, it, it's really scary stuff. And I'm sure you've talked lots about breastfeeding and the microbes and colostrum, so I'm not going to get into that much. So we already can make the association between what the breast milk gives versus what the baby needs, the meadow growing to a forest. If we can make that connection, this makes a lot more sense. So there are risks of not breastfeeding. We look at like reviews of obstetrics and gynecology. We can dive into some of these studies. We know, for example, that for infants who are not being breastfed, there's a huge association with increased incidence of, um, getting my merds all mixed up today, increased incidences of like infectious morbidity because you lack those bacteria, yeah. just simple things on being able to boost that immune system. Um, and the immunoglobulins, like you are getting antibodies huge. from mom too, like in those like fat and protein and nutrients and immunoglobulins and bacteria. Like you're getting everything. It's like this perfect it's the best way to keep your baby yeah, alive. If there's one food you had to live on for the rest of your life, that would be it. You know what I mean? And so, so we know yeah. there's elevated risks of, like we talked about childhood obesity, type one and two diabetes, higher risk of leukemia, and of course, SIDS. And that's just not breastfeeding. Now, there's also risk, I'm sure you talked about for mothers, for failure to breastfeed, right? Now, some obviously can't, but that's associated with increase of um, uh, premenopausal breast cancer. There's risks of ovarian cancer, retained gestational weight, uh, weight gain, type 2 diabetes, MIs or myocardial infarcts, which are heart attacks, uh, metabolic syndromes, all kinds of stuff that are associated with not breastfeeding on both sides. It's an absolutely necessary part of the natural process. And I always go back as close as we can to nature with everything we do. It's so important. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the other thing I'll add is just to finish this off is there's also a lot of data on preterm babies having a higher risk of SIDS. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, I, they, they, they sort of conjecture as to why, but you know, I've been studying polyvagal theory and, and a balancing of the nervous system and co-regulating between baby and mother, which happens in large part after the birth. It could be moments after the birth where the baby's right on the chest and going through this co-regulation with mother that motherese and all of that is actually very helpful in developing the higher level of the parasympathetic nervous system, the ventral mm. vagal component. And given that we also have a connection between gut health and the nervous system that we've already explored, I think it's probably multifactorial. I think these preterm babies are probably um, being born before they have a really firm, like a nice foundation of that mm. ventral vagal system. But, and, but in addition to that, preterm babies are oftentimes not um, able to breastfeed or they're in the NICU for mm. three months being kept alive on sort of like life support. So the benefits of getting them colostrum and breast milk and co-regulating these little preterm babies is so critical, not only from a standpoint of co-regulating and developing that final leg of their nervous system, but also um, supporting the nervous system by supporting the gut through the colostrum mm. and all the bacteria and all these other benefits. So there's, there's a lot there. I'm glad that you're talking about these things, Josh. I think... Um, Man, I, I hope people will find your work. You're at reversiblepod.com, um, Instagram, Josh, Josh Deck, D E C H guys.health. Um, Josh, any other things you want people to know, you want them to flock to after they hear this? Awesome uh, well, interview? one more thing, um, if I could actually, I'll address SIDS very directly. There's one more point I was able to pull up for you. Yeah, oh, there's a meta analysis yeah. Yeah, yeah, of 19 yeah. different studies that they had found dealing with SIDS and breastfeeding. And obviously there's all kinds of you know, criteria and stuff and inclusion criteria, but effectively the meta-analysis of 19 different studies concluded that the bottle-fed babies were twice as likely to die from SIDS, which is astronomical. Wow. It's shocking. Wow. And so my, my last... Is there something in formula? Can, oh is God. there something in formula that might also be hurting oh the God. gut? Okay. <laughs> I, I have to oh, I have to open the jar because oh, there's how something. Much, there. How much time have you got? <laughs> um, yeah. How about like the soybean oil and everything that's in oh, even the best brands out there? I'm so like, God, what a nightmare that we're Do you, doing. Like, yeah. Have you, I don't know if you've talked about how seed oils are made, soybean oil and vegetable oil and canola oil. They are so highly inflammatory. They actually wreak havoc on a fully formed 
metal, a fully formed forest of a gut. And so a brand new baby oh. who's just trying, struggling to thrive and to grow in these conditions is already, we're putting gasoline in the dirt. We're salting the earth before they even get mm. there. And so this is part of it. This is why I would venture to say that you're twice as likely to die from SIDS, from bottle feeding, is due to the canola, due to the soybean oil, due to the artificial vitamins. You got packaged lab-grown probiotics, which again, bacteria are bacteria, but maybe we just don't know yet. It seems like everything, the more we learn, the closer yeah. we get to nature, and we know natural vitamins absorb differently. Right? Natural bacteria Bingo. probably produce better things we just don't know about yet. And so there's a lot yeah. more to it. Than, than that. And I think it's so important to understand that your gut, there's a paper by Dr. Alessio Fasano called all diseases start in the leaky gut, all diseases in capitals. <laughs> sounds like a must read for anybody out there that cares about anything, anything. ever. Like if you like puppies, read it. If you like sunshine, read it. If you like health, read it. Um, that's really what we oh, do man. at reversible is we're talking about all things that influence the gut. We're talking about all the things that your gut influences, but also the external influential factors. We're talking to farmers, homesteaders, psychologists, trauma therapists. We're talking about the food we eat, where it comes from, how to eat, growing bacteria. We talk to you about birth and the importance of starting that microbiome early. Yeah. And it really is an amazing opportunity to meet with some of the world's best, who I'm sure many of you had on your show. Um, they're just the best, the best. Like it, on the planet, and I'm so so lucky to be to be conversing yeah. and learning from them, and you know sharing a platform with these doctors. It's it's incredible. One final question: I hadn't, I hadn't, I know, I know we're getting long winded, but Josh, I got time, man. I got you're, you're really, really. I, I love just how you. I just love your approach to things. I mean, getting back to nature, I think, is great. And and at the end of the day, I don't take any supplements myself except when I need it in order to get help me get rebalanced as a tool. It's not an answer to my issues. It's a tool. So um, for people out there that are thoughtful, like, you know, the carnivore diet is super popular. What I'm seeing with the carnivore diet, which is largely devoid of the insoluble fiber you find in plants, um, there's a lot of people that feel really, really great on that. And then they come to me and they're like, I'm eating a carnivore diet and I don't know what, what's wrong with me. And I do a stool analysis and they're mm. all out of whack. It usually happens over a matter of, let's say, six months. It's not right off the bat because I do think the carnivore diet does offer a lot of promise for mm. a lot of people. But I want to talk about the fiber thing real quick. And you're not going to have an answer to this because I don't no, think anybody don't. does. You know, if, if I could ask Paul Saladino, I'm sure he would disagree. But I don't think we have sufficient evidence that diet, that a lack, complete lack of dietary, um, a variety of dietary fiber, um, including um, resistant starches, is necessarily the best thing for us long term. Mm. So if you were, if somebody's listening, what advice do you give them about fiber? Like how could they, how should they approach this fiber conversation? It's very multifaceted. Um, so what I will say about carnivore and fiber, number one, true carnivore, most of us are just eating steak right? or just eating chicken. And so we're not getting heavy fatty meats. Everything's cooked. There are a lot of countries that will just like slice a kidney out of a goat and eat it raw. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So there's a lot of yeah. introduction. Yeah. East Africa, a lot of the yeah, northern Ethiopia. territories, like places where there isn't a lot of stuff yeah. growing. So yeah. they eat a lot of carnivore base, but they're, 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 they're mixing things up. It's not just a steak. It's kidney. It's liver. It's heart. It's brain if you're not afraid of prions disease. They eat all kinds of tissue, some raw. So they are still getting bacteria introduced. And so whether or not we need fiber, I think is actually up for debate. Even Dr. Anthony Chafee eight years, nine years now, like meat, like fatty cuts of meat. He'll eat organ meats and stuff, salt and water. And that's it. And the dude looks fantastic. He doesn't sunburn, doesn't get sore. Um, I have given carnivore diets to people dealing with bacterial overgrowth because we want to feed less fibers or fermentables to the bacteria. Yeah. So I think there's a benefit. Yeah. Whether I can say it's good for everyone always, I would say we'd struggle to do it well in North America. That's what I can say. Yeah. Because of the yeah. lack of variety. We yeah. go to the store. I wouldn't eat liver from the grocery store. Hell no, that's going to be disgusting. But I'll eat liver from the farm where I buy my grass-fed, grass-finished, pasture-raised beef. Right? It's very, very different. And that's kind of my, my roundabout way. Fiber, I think we may need it if we don't have a diverse enough diet because we have to continue growing our own bacteria. We can't continue re-inoculate with outside bacteria like raw goat kidney. And so I think it's a lot of different ways to approach this one. And like everything, it's going to be, I wish health was more DIY. 
I recommend like speak to somebody, get a GI map, get a stool test done. We do them all the time. I know you do them. See where you're at. What are you lacking? Do you need to introduce probiotics? Sometimes I do because like it's not even detectable on their chart. So I want to try to get some in that may culture. Sometimes I want fiber. Sometimes I don't. And it it really does depend. Um, Ultimately, intuition. The more in tune you get with your body, the more you know. I'm like, I need a steak covered in butter and honey today. And that's what I'm going to eat. <laughs> if you haven't tried steak covered in butter, honey, and salt, I highly recommend. Oh my God. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think anything covered in butter, honey, and salt <laughs> yes. is going to, I'll, I'll, that's going right into now, my face right get, now. Yeah. So. Get in my belly. <laughs> get in my belly. Josh, thank you for, uh, for riding the waves here with me. Um, we'll send everybody your way guys, Josh deck dot health on Instagram, reversible pod, go listen to his conversation. Some of your episodes are beautifully short and sweet, like 20 to 30 minutes. And there's just like, it's like gem after gem after gem. Um, can't recommend your work enough. So thank you for spending. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. We we do our best. It's either interviews like a 10 minute, but like there's something for everyone. And, uh, I I got I was actually just listening to your podcast before I got here. So I think we're, we're mutual fans. I I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. Well, take care. And I will, well, I'm sure we'll do another podcast. I'll look forward to it. Thanks, Nate. Good to see you again. Hey. Thank you so much for tuning in another amazing episode of the Holistic Abidjan podcast. Under wraps, if you want to find me, Nathan Riley, I'm the host. I am an MD. I'm a fellow of ACOG, meaning I'm a board-certified OB-GYN. I'm also a board-certified hospice and palliative care physician. You can find all of my services and products at BelovedHolistics.com, including an online shop with discount codes for all of the brands that are at the top of their category, from water and hydration to supplements to... Um, courses. I mean, there's so much there. So go check that out. I also offer private consultation. You can buy packages. I'm also, um, of course, the PRP fertility program is open to all comers. You can find all of that at belovedholistics.com. If you're a midwife and you need collaboration from a physician, I got you. Go to Beloved Holistics. You'll find everything there. If you guys are enjoying the podcast, please support the sponsors. If you haven't left a five-star review, please go do that. It really, really means a lot. And lastly, if something in this episode touched you, share it with somebody that you love. I'm sure that they're going to love it too. We'll see you next week right back here on the Holistic OBGYN podcast. Take care and do no harm. Take no shit. Bye-bye, everybody. Mm -hmm.